All right, welcome back. Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Okay, it's the 10-year anniversary, Vancouver's Night of Infamy, mm-hmm. the 2011 Stanley Cup riot 10 years ago today. What do you remember about that day? Well, I remember, first of all, I re- watching our new news uh, that day and noticing that people were drinking uh, in large numbers in the morning, starting in the morning, and <laughs> yeah. thinking, you know, this that's not good. Uh, this could lead to some uh, serious um, uh, action or trouble. And then I remember watching and listening. I was doing a 5 o'clock hit on something, nothing to do with the Canucks and with Chris Gillison. Chris was doing a live report from the fan plaza down there and, and pointed out the mood down there was a lot different than had been on previous nights. And I think that was because so many people had gathered so early and had started drinking very early. So the, the crowd was in a, was intoxicated very early on. And I'm just saying everybody, oh, that means there's going to be a riot. It's just that it was different that day yeah. than it had been in previous days. Yeah, there was a different vibe started to build early. Mm-hmm. And they had the fan zone down there, yeah. people outside, bacon in the sun, getting yeah. hammered. And you could just sort of feel it building through the day. And I remember I was I was on NW that week, and I remember a couple of days before that, a couple of callers phoning up and saying, are they ready? Mm-hmm. Are the cops ready in case this thing turns hairy? Because it happened once before in 1994. Yep. And I remember some other people phoning in in the open line saying, like, oh, don't even, don't even uh, you're just instigating something. There's not going to be a riot. You don't. You just never know. No, you never know. And there's, of course, a lot of second guessing about should this uh, this fan zone have been cleared earlier? Yeah. Should it even been allowed to take root down there? Uh, should the police have moved in early to to quell some of the early? Well, they didn't actions have enough the cops crowd? either. No, there was was there was there you know enough assigned. A lot of this was hindsight, but uh, it was an extraordinary uh, event, of course, and a, a black eye in, in Vancouver's history. And, and hopefully that never happens again. But boy, what a night! Okay, well, we got some great coverage on that coming up later on the show. I'm going to speak to a former police officer who was in the thick of it down there that night, and he'll tell you some hair raising stories. I guarantee you on that. And I'm on encouraging you to call the buzz line today with your thoughts and memories on the riot 10 years later let's listen to a couple of calls here keith we're already getting lots of calls on this on the stanley cup riot let's have a listen i was working as a for coast mountain bus bus driver driving the 100 route which is in south vancouver along marine drive primarily and i couldn't have been so much so much happier to be out of the downtown core but i remember a message coming on our little screen in the bus and all it said was all buses in the downtown core get out by any means possible apart from the horror of it all the major embarrassment i was feeling the major embarrassment that the whole world was watching these idiots and that canada was uncivilized that was kind of embarrassing, the city burning. Yeah, well, and it was the second riot, right? There was yeah. a riot in 1994, uh, which was pretty bad as well. So, no, Vancouver's got a lot of shame uh, as a result of these uh, two unfortunate events. Okay, keep phoning me on the buzz line on that today. That was fascinating to hear that bus driver, though, to say all buses get out by any means possible. <laughs> yeah, I've never get, heard that before. Get out of the downtown, man. Okay, keep phoning me on the buzz line on that one. 604-331-BUZZ is the number. With your Vancouver riot memories, 604-331-2899.
All right, Keith, we talked earlier on the show today about Vancouver taking a look at possible parking fees, also pollution fees for mm-hmm. late model trucks and SUVs. I think I think a lot of municipalities across the country are going to be watching this with keen eyes because all municipalities and cities are going to have a revenue pro- uh, problem. And they've had one in this pandemic. You've seen Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart early on in the pandemic make his cap in hand pleas to the government for more money. So all all governments of every strip are wrestling with revenue problems, and they're looking at unique ways to fill that gap. Some of this, I mean, I think a lot of it is you know genuine climate change policies, but it's also a nice way for cities to collect a lot of money in very creative ways that have never been seen before. So it's going to be very interesting if Vancouver can pull this off and whether or not it's, it spreads to other municipalities. Well, I think it's a cash grab yep. uh, dressed up as a climate change initiative. I mean, they're talking parking fees, pollution fees, uh, mobility pricing. We already got the highest gas taxes in the continent already. So, I mean, man, they're just squeezing Well, you know, the people. gas tax is a good example. It's just it's sort of just blended in now. Nobody yeah. really talks about the gas tax. It's just part of your life, the carbon tax. Now does this become the next level of taxation sure. that gets baked into your daily life? And it'll be it'll be fascinating whether uh, there's any political consequences from this or is it just people accept it. Okay. It will not go forward without a fight, though, that's for sure. Let me play uh, Vancouver City Councilor Lisa Dominato's comment on it here, and here she is uh, criticizing the plan. It's going to create more inequities and affordability issues and particularly target people who can least afford it, particularly individuals who don't have access to off-street parking, renters, people who may need a vehicle because they're caregivers, because they're tradespeople. Yeah, okay, renters All is an interesting points. one. Yeah, I mean, what if you're living in a basement suite or something? you got to park on the street. You get walloped with this, uh, this yeah, parking fee. Yeah, Dominato makes some very good points there. There's a lot of pushback uh, and ways to do this. It's interesting that you recall the 2017 provincial election. The NDP scrapped the tolls on the bridges. Very popular with people. As a result, they're in power now. And uh, it'll be interesting. Is it, does this give Dominato and her colleagues uh, a great issue come the next election to push back against Kennedy Stewart and others who vote for this? Yeah, that, those mobility fees, too, that the city's studying, you can bet that's going to be an election issue next year for sure. Okay, speaking of John Horgan, who famously promised to get rid of the tolls, yeah, it was it was political stroke of brilliance there. I think it put him into the premier's office. Well, I think Bob right. Dewar, his special assistant, the brainchild. Yeah, yeah, it was very, it was very smart of him to do that. I always remember uh, Christy Clark trying to push back on that, saying like, "Oh, this is bad that they're going to cancel these tolls." Oh, well. And I think the NDP must have loved it when she said that. Okay, here is Horgan. By the way, okay, we're into step two now of the reopening plan starting today, and here is Premier John Horgan uh, speaking yesterday about what are the next steps we're going to have in reopening the economy, reopening the province. What about that border? Is it time to can to reopen the Canada-U.S. border? Here's what he said yesterday. Ambassador Hillman, the Canadian representative in Ottawa, and I talk regularly. We're scheduled to talk again this week. And on Thursday, uh, the Prime Minister has asked the Premiers to come together to talk about uh, reopening the borders, uh, land, sea and air. And of course, uh, we're very interested in those discussions. We've been working on it uh, uh, quietly because, uh, you know, there is anxiety in the community. I know that. I feel that. And we want to make sure we're on the right track. Okay, your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, uh, it's heating up. There's pressure building. Uh, tremendous pressure being applied by the tourism sector because uh, this would be the second summer to be wiped out. So they definitely want this border open. Uh, international tourism is what uh, is a make or break or for uh, for the tourism sector. Uh, domestic uh, 
tourism just doesn't have the numbers and revenue generating to the point where that international does. So, yeah, in Thursday meeting, virtual meeting between the premiers and the prime minister about opening up the border. It's interesting. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau last week said he would be in favor of that when people had two doses, fully vaccinated. Here's here's an interesting uh, contrast. In the United States, you've got almost 50% of the population is is uh, fully vaccinated with right. two doses. In right. Canada, it's about 11%. Yeah. We uh, took a different strategy, which was to get as many first doses in the arms of people as possible. Second doses were, were less a priority. We're now in our second dose phase, but we're in BC, I think we're at 12 or 13%. We're, almost all the vaccines every day are second doses. But to get to second doses uh, f- to 75%, say, through the summer is going to be a very tough chore. But, you know, we're getting more vaccines. But I do think now the pressure to open the border is like never before. So I'm, I think, you know, July, probably mid-July, I would bet for, for opening this up again for people with full vaccinations. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, let's open the phone lines on that right now. And so all the topics that we covered there, we talked about the step two of the reopening plan in British Columbia, which takes place today. So non-essential travel throughout the province allowed again. You can gather in larger groups. we got later serving hours in bars, pubs, and restaurants. All right, phone lines are open to Keith Baldry. Baldry's Beat 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898, toll free in your cell. Let's go to Fred on the line in Surrey. Hey, Fred. Hey, Meg, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Go ahead. Well, you know what? I think all politi- politicians from all levels of government, they have gone crazy. They've gone mad, especially uh, Mayor Stewart. They are trying to bring tax after tax after tax in every arena of this uh, operation. And what's going to happen is if the voters of Vancouver approve it, it's going to permeate into the entire province and every municipality, every city is going to do the same. Taxpayers are tired of taxes. There, there is no quality of living anymore. They can't afford it. The cost of living is so high. What's going on in this province? There is no leadership. There is only okay. money. Okay, yeah, thanks I, a lot for the call. I'll go back to my earlier comment. All municipalities are going to be watching what unfolds here. Yeah. And what happens at the next municipal election? If those who back this type of tax scheme uh, are reelected, that will embolden other municipalities and other, other councillors to do the same thing within their own environs. If the people who concoct this scheme and vote for it are defeated, that's going to kill this uh, in other jurisdictions. So there's lots riding on this. Well, the next election in the city of Vancouver is is the fall of 2022, so just over a year from now. And you can bet this is going to be on the agenda. Well, if Lisa Dominato and her colleagues uh, can mount an opposition to this and say this is what the election should turn on, um, well, that's going to have an impact right across the I mean, you got John Cooper running for mayor under the NPA banner, the former park, uh, the Vancouver Park Board Commissioner. I had him on the show here mm-hmm. last week, said he's going to basically go to war on this uh, mobility pricing it's issue. It's not a bad issue to go to so, war on. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, keep taking your calls. Let's go to uh, Bob in Aldergrove. Hey, Bob. Yeah, hi, Mike. Hey, just wanted to make a comment about the, uh, the Phase 2 opening. I mean, yeah. I think it should be opened up even more, like at this point and the reasons to it you, i'm sure you remember back before the may long weekend when bonnie henry and everybody was saying that there was going to be a, a third like a big wave about two to three weeks after the long weekend because of people not socially distancing etc and uh, that's clearly been shown not to be the case and if you believe in the vaccine and the science behind it uh clearly we should be opened up. I mean, at least with now okay. at 76%, right? I yeah. mean, tell me, tell me how I'm off on that. Okay, thanks for the call. Oh, well, first of all, they didn't predict there would be um, 
a wave after the long, Victoria Day weekend. They expressed fears that I there, think they could, were concerned. there could be. There yeah. could be. They did not predict there would be. And Bonnie Henry it doesn't really predict anything. Uh, so, no, there was a concern that that could happen. It didn't happen. And, the, yeah. and Bob's right. It, it did not happen. And that's one big reason why we're going to step two, because the numbers have started to go down. The reason why we're not reopening even more is we're reopening to a degree where where people are going to be allowed to gather in greater numbers, indoor, uh, outdoors, up to 50 people. There's going to be more activity and more contacts. And why there's a bit of a delay until the next step is we want to, Dr. Henry and others want to see an incubation period that occurs after this reopening, uh, which is 14 days. So it's actually going to be about 17 days before before July 1st. And they're going to track what the numbers are going to be like. Starting about a week from now, if the numbers start to go upwards again, then there may be some hiccups here. Uh, but if they continue to go down, all th- systems are go for reopening even more on July 1st. And then we're gonna they're going to keep an eye on the numbers. And with the expectation the numbers will actually go up in July and August to a degree, because of more contacts and more activities and people gathering in, in larger numbers, but not to the point of being that concerned. And right. expect that they'll start to go down again at the end of August, which sets the stage for the big reopening on September 7th. Right, and that'll be pretty much a full reopening by yep. that point. Now, okay. it doesn't mean we're going to have 18,000 people at a Canucks game necessarily, but you're going to have the Canucks playing in front of thousands of people. Okay, let's go to Lucy on the line in Burnaby. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Mike. Hi. Well, I am also anxious to go down there across the border. I have property down there. It's been vandalized. Uh, it's pretty difficult to organize tradespeople from this side of the border for the other side of the border to get them in there and do work and have and expect it, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going down there to do shopping or sightseeing or whatever. I am just have investment down there with my property, and I'm just anxious to get down there and see that it's taken care of. And I think they can do that safely also by, you know, monitoring the people that are going across both north and south and by looking to see if they have their second dose of vaccine and proving it by showing the card. Okay, thank you very much for the call. Yeah, interesting. You just take a look at Washington State. Um, They've got about 49%, 48% fully vaccinated. I think the first dose is around... 67% 67% if I last time I checked around Seattle far more people on the west side of, of Washington are vaccinated than the east side uh, but again, Washington, uh, the U.S. does not have as high first dose numbers as Canada does. And again, and but they've got more double dose numbers than Canada. Does. But before we get to that open border, do we not have to have the vaccine passport system in place? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, perhaps that's that that could be, very well be the case. Joe, it'll be interesting what the next time Joe Biden's asked about this, what his take is. He seems to be using July Fourth as a as a benchmark for measuring his vaccination rollout scheme. Uh, and again, perhaps that's what he's going to be using for opening up the border. But the economic interests of both countries are really uh, tied up on opening that border, and that's playing a huge role in this as well. Okay, we just got a minute left here, John and Langley. Hi, John. Go quickly, please. Hi, uh, gentlemen. Just one question. With all these uh, uh, taxes, the carbon taxes and, and all the taxes and our gas, et cetera, et cetera, this myriad of taxes, can anybody, regarding the environment and especially the carbon tax, can anybody down there tell me how it's helping our environment? Because I just don't understand it. I don't okay. see it. Thanks. Yeah, well, emissions continue to climb even though we have a carbon tax, but uh, the expectation is as the tax gets more and more, it's just more 
motivation for people to use their vehicles less and get out of the get out of their cars. Thanks, Keith. Talk tomorrow. All right, that's Keith Baldry, and that's Baldry's beat. Thanks a lot for all your calls there. You didn't get through. Phone the buzz line six zero four three three one buzz is the number six zero four three three one two eight nine nine.